1: Welcome to Mind Love, episode 288. Today's episode is all about the neuroscience of how spirituality physically changes your mind.
0: What the study shows is that every single one of us is a naturally spiritual being and that we all have in our brain a neuro-docking station for spiritual awareness if we use it. And it's possible to go through our entire lives and never use it. But it's right there. It's a quarter inch under the surface. There's a profound rearrangement of meaning that speaks to a deeper, wiser, deep, true part of ourself, our inner compass. And that process involves an entirely different circuit of the brain that's sitting there waiting for us. And the components of the awakened brain, the awakened brain has four key points. One and only one is shared in common with mindfulness, which is a wonderful practice of getting present. So we disengage the default mode, we get present. But the other three, you know, mindfulness brings us to the threshold so we can cross over into a transcendent form of awareness. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti.
1: If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom, so don't forget to subscribe. Have you ever felt a deep sense of inner peace after meditating? Or felt a rush of euphoria during a spiritual experience isn't it interesting how something as intangible as spirituality seems to have an almost tangible effect on the physical selves well what if i told you that evidence of spirituality isn't so intangible after all if you have a spiritual practice you probably already know that it can change your mind Just having a belief in something greater than yourself can lead to changes in thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. It can make you more optimistic, more hopeful, and more loving. But here's where things get really interesting. A connection to spirit can actually create physical changes in our brains, too. There have been some fascinating recent studies in neuroscience that suggest that spirituality can actually alter the composition and the structure of our brains. So it's not just that we believe in something hopeful and therefore we are more hopeful. Those changes in composition are creating the conditions for new thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. So let me tell you about some of these changes. People who have a spiritual connection have been shown to have increased gray matter density in areas of the brain associated with self-awareness and empathy. They've also been found to have altered activity in brain regions involved in stress response and addiction. So in other words, spirituality actually impacts our neurobiological makeup. How incredible is that? When I was 20, I remember reading The Secret for the first time. It was recommended by my manager at my first salaried job. A few people on the team were all in. A few were total skeptics. And I remember landing somewhere in the middle. I thought, well, what's the downside? That I'm naturally a little more positive? Whether or not I am magically attracting opportunities and similar energies, isn't that just how attraction works on a practical level? There's a reason certain types of energies are attractive. They're smiling and welcoming, so people just naturally want to draw nearer to them. So what's the worst that can happen? Looking back That's how I approached a lot of new mindset tools in my 20s. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but can't hurt to try. The upside was that I was always willing to try new things. But the downside was that it became really easy to lose the habit if I wasn't 100% sold on it. That's why whenever I'm embarking on some big new behavior change or life path, I always make sure to surround myself with evidence that it works. That way, I'm always reminded of everything I have to lose if I throw it all away. And that's why I am so excited about this episode today. Because it turns out, the changes that we experience aren't just the placebo effect. We're not just convincing ourselves to be more positive. We're actually creating physical changes in our brains. And there are a lot of scientific studies to back this up, which we'll get into. Our guest is Dr. Lisa Miller, She's the New York Times bestselling author of The Spiritual Child and her new book, The Awakened Brain. She's also a professor in the clinical psychology program at Teachers College, Columbia University, where she founded the Spirituality Mind-Body Institute, the first Ivy League graduate program and research institute in spirituality and psychology. So three key things we will learn are the surprising clinical evidence for how spirituality protects our mental health, How our own states of mental health pass down to our children, and how spirituality is 29% inheritable, and what factors create the spiritual connection necessary to physically alter our brains. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now let's welcome Dr. Lisa Miller to the show.
0: Thank you for having me. I love your
1: show, and I think what you're doing is very important. So what inspired your recent work on really finding the correlation between spirituality and our mental health? So, you know, I have always in my path
0: seen life at a spiritual level. And so it actually, for me, went the other way around. When I became a clinical psychologist, and before that as a psychology major and getting to know the field... I kept waiting to hear about the spiritual dimension and nothing was said. And it didn't make sense to me. I mean, in you know, in the United States, a lot of people, 70% of people have a deep spiritual core and mental health had nothing to say about it. Um, and in fact, when I started out in the field, it was taboo. It was literally taboo. So, for instance, when I was on an inpatient unit at in a you know, it was a good hospital and in New York City, the patients very quickly got the picture that, despite being in a lot of pain, and some of them had been to the inpatient unit two, three, five, ten times, they really got the picture. They weren't supposed to talk about their spiritual life or about their religious life either. And the, the way I knew this was first by what was not said, but then as I'd been there, you know, a few weeks and then months, patients would come up to me and they'd say, "You know, Dr. Miller, Dr. Miller, can you come here?" And whatever they were about to tell me was very hushed and private. And come here often meant, you know, not in your office. Come here meant walk down the hallway, go into the kitchen, back to the pantry, and in the way corner of the pots and pan closet, Dr. Miller, Dr. Miller, will you pray with me? So they felt that they had to hide to have some form of spiritual connection, prayer, meditation, to talk about it. And that said to me you know whatever we're doing here isn't working and we're silencing the spiritual heart so let's put this all back together again let's realize our deep spiritual nature as a way through suffering and then how if we can as healers and as you know people who are trying to help ameliorate terrible pain can we help engage the deepest spiritual core so that depression instead of being a dead end you know that just gets worse and worse actually becomes an opening for spiritual awakening and growth
1: it's it's something that most spiritual people or religious people know because they've experienced it in their own life whether they have just grown up with that connection or it's what they ended up seeking to heal themselves i had a little bit of both i was raised in a religion that i didn't feel connected to i felt like there were a lot of for me a lot of just disconnects and things that didn't quite make sense and so i went through a whole phase of god doesn't exist and i don't know if it was the trauma i experienced at the same time or the falling away from any sort of connection to something greater than myself that caused my spiral downward, but I do know that they happened all at the same time. Maybe the trauma got me to question it, maybe I kind of dove knee deep into the trauma because I I was separating myself from that, whatever it was. Even in AA or Narcotics Anonymous, there's a lot of people who have no spiritual connection, and then they find it there. And that's what sort yes. of helps them find the sobriety. Yes. And so it's been something that's been known or theorized. And those who know, know, and those who don't just seem to not but you've actually seen clinical evidence that spirituality could have a prote- protective benefit for our mental health, including an in MRI findings. Can you tell us about that? Yeah,
0: it's true that when we do find in a way that's right for us in our own walk, a spiritual home. I mean, it could be that it means walking down the street to another religious tradition. It could be the same religious tradition led in a different way. It could be that we find in our path we're spiritual, but not religious, that nature is my cathedral, or there's a way of being in the world with one another, relational spirituality. So whatever our walk may be, when we have a clear connection to our spiritual heart. And when we see life through what I call an awakening of our natural spiritual brain for awakened awareness, that we move through life in a very different way. So, you know, by contrast, let me back up. You know, most of us go off to school and we learn in school, you know, you've got to figure out what you want, set your goals, go after them and achieve them. You know, we learn a really sort of a beeline to set a goal. Here's your skills. And when you learn to read and when you learn to write, it's all to go get your goals. And so the the quiet, hidden curriculum in the air and water is one that suggests that life is about a beeline to going after your goals. The hidden curriculum suggests that we can somehow control, radically control our lives and know what we want is the end point, right? Well, this way of seeing the world, which I call really a deep form of everyday and achieving awareness is perhaps a helpful set of skills at times, but it is absolutely insufficient to lead a meaningful life. And in fact, it doesn't even square with reality because how often is there really the case that humans have radical control or no one in five, one in 10 of moments, we can really control something. You can't control traffic. You can't control the weather. You can't control what the guy on the street just said to you. You're, most of life we cannot control. And so a deeper alignment with the true structure of life is to stop asking constantly what I want. How am I going to get it? I didn't want him to say that. How could he have said that? That wasn't what I wanted. You know, I didn't get this into the school or this job or this guy. I didn't get what I wanted. Leave that conversation behind. <laughs> and welcome ourselves to change our conversation with life into what is life showing me now? You know, why? How remarkable that that guy on the subway just said that to me. I didn't, for 10 years, he didn't say it to me, and he didn't say it to me the next day. What is life showing me now? Wait a minute. I didn't get what I wanted. Instead of why is life doing this to me, why don't I ask what is life doing for me? You know, what is life revealing? And and very quickly, whether our word is higher power or the force of nature through life, or I use the word God, whatever our word for this loving, guiding presence in life, we start to take up a dialogue. And that's a dialogue instead of pretending we control life. It's a dialogue that makes life much more of an expedition. It really makes life a quest. And every day is, if we're really paying attention really an amazing surprise if we really pay attention like what did that guy just say to me you know why is it i haven't seen her in five months and today i was just thinking of her and here she is and what did she say to me about my child maybe i should listen to that you know so life is so abundant with direction it's almost like we're if you think of a sun as having rays and we're all raised from the sun one source and we show up for each other we're like i actually think of who we are to one each other as guides or trail angels. We help each other along, but we're all sort of part of this beautiful divine symphony helping each other along unless we don't pay attention to each other. And that would be quite a loss.
1: I am going through one of those guiding periods now. I often share with my audience that the more that I bring awareness to that guidance, like actually recognize it as valid rather than just pass it off like, oh, what a weird coincidence or, you know, which is what most people do. They're just like, oh, how funny that that happened. How funny I was just thinking of you and you called me, whatever it is. But instead I'm like, yes, I'm on the right track. Like I'll give it this mark in my life, make it a core memory so that I know it's like a part of my deeper knowing, a part of my connectedness to others. The more that I open myself up to that, the more I feel like I receive that guidance because it's like having a gratitude practice where once you start deciding that you're going to name things that you're grateful for, then you start to notice things during your day that you're grateful for. Instead of what your mind wants to do, notice what you don't have, notice what you still need. And so in this period of life, just in the last couple of weeks, I'm interviewing you on this idea of of how spirituality affects our mental health, but really that, that connectedness to something greater than ourselves, how it's so important for our well-being. Dan Siegel, who is talking about this idea of intraconnectedness and basically how we, when we're limiting to our sense of self, we're we're missing out on this whole other dimension of reality and how that's what we're meant to be. And that heals our mental health and things like that um man richard lang who talks about the headless way and it's it's more of a philosophical practice of expanding beyond your sense of self and then lynn twist who actually talks about the nitty gritty of getting out there and advocating to to become to focus on your purpose on something larger than yourself and i'm like okay universe god source i get it (laughs) you know like that's what i'm going through and and it's at a time where i'm building a family and move to a new town and really realizing how much my happiness, I want to say depends on, but that's not the right word, is just completely interconnected with community and with really that that connection that I feel versus the goals that I've been focusing on for the last however many years. And so thank you for being a part of that guidance. But you actually talked about how you did this study on Uh, and actually scanned brains, MRIs, showing that there were red spots larger in spiritual brains, showing that the spiritual brain was healthier and more robust than the low spiritual brains. Can you walk us through that study? And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health, We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes, so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks, so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? Can you walk us through that study? Sure. And
0: in fact, you're so right. I mean, what the study shows is that every single one of us is a naturally spiritual being and that we all have in our brain a neuro docking station for spiritual awareness if we use it. And it's possible to go through our entire lives and never use it, but it's right there. It's a quarter inch under the surface. And it's so here's the study. First of all, who is in this study? We invited people 18 through 25 to come in and tell us about a time where they were completely stressed out. You know, tell us a time when you were really, really stressed out, and tell us another time where you felt a deep sense of connection to the universe, to the deeper order of the world, to God, to your higher power, the, to the not just anything greater, but a loving, guiding presence, right? ultimate problems. So stress stories, what did they sound like? 18 to 25 year olds, we thought we were going to hear, you know, the time I was grappling with, you know, learning Mandarin or organic chemistry, the time I scaled Kilimanjaro, or the time I went for the triathlon, we thought we'd hear stories of challenge. But stress was not about challenge. We didn't hear one story that was about challenge. Instead, what stress sounded like was, I have got to get that next promotion. I have got to get into that college. I've got to get her or him to say, yes, I've got to, got to, got to. It was a stance in life, a way of being where we were like striving for something, reaching for something. And it was just about an inch away. And maybe we got it. And if we did, ping, what's the next thing I've got to get? You know, so it was a way of, of really chronically striving. And when we learn that narrative, you know, it's in the air and water of our culture. I've got to have it. I've got to get it. You know, it's in the public square. What do you do? What does he do? What does she do? Where do you, live? you know, got to get it, got to get it. It is a public square. It's a way of acculturating kids in school that has nothing to do with our spiritual life. It's all about outward accomplishment. And what goes off in the brain is the insulin trade. And my colleague, who's been a lifelong behavioral addiction expert said, oh, I know that. That is the addicted brain, which is to say we inculcate in kids, in school, the mental stance of addiction. I've gotta have it, I've gotta get it. And that I've gotta, gotta, gotta becomes ting, ding, ting, ping, the same machine, if you will, that looks at drugs and alcohol, that looks at food or internet pornography or gambling. I've gotta have it as a learned way of striving that is never satisfied but you can invite that very same young person to say okay let's same person put your hand on the gear shift and tell me about a time where you felt a deep relationship with your higher power with the force in life with god with jesus whatever your word is and suddenly the story completely changes same person i'm walking on the street i feel like such a loser i've just been turned down at eight out of nine medical schools i'll never be a doctor like my mom or my dad but then I saw light in the leaves and I knew that God had a plan for me and I'd be a healer in the way I'm intended. Or, you know, we were going to get married. I had a promise ring. We'd been together three years. And the week of graduation, he called it off. And I felt like such a loser and I felt so ugly and I felt so unlovable. You know, but then I went home and sitting by my grandparents at their house by the lake and feeling their love, I knew I was loved and I felt the love of life itself. And I knew I'd love again. There's a profound rearrangement of meaning that speaks to a deeper, wiser, deep, true part of ourself, our inner compass. And that process involves an entirely different circuit of the brain that's sitting there waiting for us. And the components of the awakened brain, the awakened brain has four key points. One and only one is shared in common with mindfulness, which is a wonderful practice of getting present. So we disengage the default mode, we get present. But the other three, you know, mindfulness brings us to the threshold so we can cross over into a transcendent form of awareness where we suddenly can see into a deeper layer of life. And there, what happens? Well, the bonding network comes up online and we know we're loved and held just as children in the arms of our parents. We move from a very narrow, I've got to have it top down dorsal to a broader bottom up ventral attention network. And life is bigger. And many people say this brand new opportunity, it just pops. We are guided, loved and held guided. And the fourth network is it will the parietal puts in and out hard boundaries, which means that we know that, you know, we are sitting here at this GPS coordinate and that person we love is at another GPS coordinate or I am here, I'm a point and I'm a wave. I'm here as one person In my particular, zipped up bio bodysuit. And at the same time, we're part of this family of life. We're part of this field of creation. So we're never alone. Loved, helped, guided, and never alone. That's not a belief. That is the seat of awakened awareness. That is the seat, the neurodocking station of our awakened brain. And when we use our awakened brain, we can literally perceive, feel, know that life is in fact one of deep dialogue. We are loved, held, guided, and never alone. There is a sense in which even if I don't get what I want and in the book and the awakened brain, I talk about not being a parent, which is, you know, it's not a selfish thing to want wanting to be a parent, but it was only when I started to engage my awakened awareness that I really found the path forward for what was our journey. So this is the only way that I've seen through the lens of science to realize the fullness of what our life can be. Life is bigger and better, and it is not what we want. It is 10,000 times better than what we want if we use our awakened awareness.
1: I can just see so clearly the timeline of my life. I was really successful in school. I was a high achiever in school, in AP classes, always getting straight A's, finishing quickly. Like I prided myself on that. And it's it was always so interesting to me looking back before I could see that greater picture, how quickly in college after a couple traumas, how I spiraled into every addiction that was available to me. I was had a really severe case of bulimia. I was drinking too much. I was doing party drugs, just being online, like every addiction. It's like I would hyper-focus on anything that would just allow me to escape from reality. And I looked at that as part of ADHD because I'd focus on things in general, but I'm like, well, why am I focusing on all the things that clearly aren't making me happy, but it's all I'm running to. (laughs) And so for me, it was in my mid twenties where I ended up in a situation that at the time felt like everything was stripped from me. My whole life was ruined. Something that could never be taken back that was going to be with me forever. and. I had to shift that. I had to see, and it's my greatest message now, what I'm always sharing when I'm on this show, when I guest on other podcasts is I used to see these limitations that were put around me as as barriers, as as things that were no longer available to me in this life. And when I started to view them as guideposts steering me in a direction towards my higher purpose, that's when all of a sudden I could see clearly, I'm like, yes it stopped this pattern it stopped where i thought i would go maybe i would have had a a good job but been mediocrely happy chasing the wrong things forever but instead it, <laughs> the universe put this block right there and i had to find a different way and in finding that different way not only did i find my own personal healing but i found mind love i found a way to share it with other people and make it bigger than myself And I loved your story of your fertility journey and how you shared a story of a plump, juicy worm and how that was your moment of realizing that you were guided. And I feel like stories really help people to ground in the information. Can you share that? Yes. um, In the awakened brain, I talk about what was an excruciating journey.
0: I mean, it was so painful for my husband and I. And it wasn't five days. It was five months. It was five years. Five years from the time we were 30 to 35 we'd gotten married when we were relatively young we were 25 and we'd been hanging out having a wee of a time and finally around 30 it's like we want to have a family again this illusion of control I would like to conceive a child now you know command control and so we actually took a vacation right we went to the Caribbean and thought oh we're going to start our family and came back from the Caribbean and there was no baby and thought, well, who gets one for one? So we took another vacation, went out west, came back, no baby number two. And I thought, well, you know, so it, went, it became six months, 10 months, then it became a year of no baby. And I started to get this horrific, creeping feeling in my heart, like, what if we can't conceive? I mean, you know, he had the job he wanted, and I, we were living the way we wanted, but what if the one thing that really matters to us in our path to become parents we can't do? And it tipped off you know I'm a scientist I started researching infertility doctors right and I couldn't even bear that I was going into the office of an infertility doctor and I'm only 30 and everyone else is in their mid-40s and you know I basically we did the basic infertility stuff IUIs and still no baby. I had, Oh no, like, what if there's really a problem? Well, I just have to find a better doctor. So I found, you know, i researched, 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 and I found the best doctor in New York. And then when that didn't work out, I found the best doctor in these guys and just ratcheted up the research and still no baby, no baby. And as this started to intensifying, you know, IVFs are pretty invasive and I've had like six of them and, you know, they weren't working in my heart, my deep, 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 deep inner wisdom, that whisper in the heart, I knew I was in the wrong place. I knew that for us in our journey, we were in the wrong place and that this wasn't about medicine per se. There was something else going on. And as I finally started to get that picture, these beautiful synchronicities started showing up. Synchronicities, these guiding. Some of them were simply saying, you know, I'm here. Life is buoyant. You're loved and held. Some of them were very clear and guiding. You know, my mother called out of the blue and said, I just wanted you to know our neighbor adopted the most beautiful little boy. He's so sweet. Just wanted you to know. So the synchronicities really are beyond a shadow of a doubt, our guidance if we pay attention to them. They I think they're sort of God sort of pulling us. Hey, hey, you know, little nudge, little tap, hey, you know, pay attention. And if we don't it's not the end of the world. They just come back louder. <laughs> so um, I, I think synchronicity, this dialogue with this loving guiding universe is, is what I came through this journey to re- realize the, the way forward. And the synchronicities were extraordinary. So after one failed in vitro, I'm sitting on a bus and this is in New York and I'm feeling very depressed. And I, you know, perhaps a little bit self-involved depressed and self-involved. And I'm sitting in the back of the bus Empty bus, and this gentleman who's quite unique gets on the bus, and I think, oh no, you're not. And he starts walking towards me. I thought, oh you know, like today of all days. And he passes 11 seats and he sits down right beside me. And it's you know, I'll confess it was um, I experienced it as intrusive and annoying. And there he was right beside me, this quite unusual gentleman. And then he looks over and he says, You know what, miss, you look like Just that type of mom that would go all around the world adopting kids. Do you have lots of kids that way? On the day of my umpteenth failed in vitro, it was far too unprobabilistic to have happened by chance. Synchronicity is saying, hey, hey, please take a right turn, you know. Um, And things like that just kept happening to the point where we got the picture that, you know, maybe there's more to this. Um, so finally, you know, the researcher and me had found the team that invented in vitro using sea urchins and basic science. And surely, you know, they patted me on the shoulder. We will get you pregnant. And yet, in my heart, I knew this wasn't a medical issue. You know, So sure enough, we nonetheless, you know, the achieving side of me said, A plus B plus C, got to make this happen. You know, we go, we do the in vitro. It's, it's all very successful. And I knew in my heart we go on bed rest in solidarity, you know, side by side. My husband's sitting next to me on bed rest while this in vitro takes, right? Or we hope it takes. We turn on the TV at this sort of, you know, we splurged on a nice hotel. It was our special in vitro bed rest hotel. And there's only one channel on the entire TV at the overpriced hotel. I mean, how could there be one channel? And so my husband gets irritated, starts you know slamming the remote on the bed, <laughs> and goes over and pokes the TV, and there's still only one channel. So here we are on bed rest with our in vitro and the volts on TV, a interminable four hour documentary of an orphan, a street boy who's living in a garbage dump in the documentary you know, they pan the garbage dump, heaps and heaps of trash, and through a translator, this little boy says, I don't care that I live in a garbage dump. I don't care that I can't go to school, but it hurts so much to not be loved that I sniff glue to make the pain go away. And my husband looked at me and he said, there's a child out there for us. Like We had in that moment really finally realized that we created our own misery. We have to conceive. We have to conceive. We have to find here was this child saying, there's nothing in the world I would have wanted these past years more than you to be my parents. And I'm living in a garbage dump. And I don't even care that I'm surrounded by trash in this foul, you know, environment. I just want to be loved. And all we wanted to do was love. And finally, we got the picture that love is at the heart. Parenting is of the heart. It's love and commitment. And everything shifted. That was the type of synchronicity that was so clearly, you know, that was full blast. There's a child out there for us. All he wanted was to be loved. And that's all we wanted. So then, at that point, we listened more closely to the synchronicities. And it was as if a red carpet rolled out. Absolutely. One after the next, the guidance. you know, And in fact, we got even more, um, it moved from a synchronicity, which I think is a sacred guidance, to a mystical experience. I was lying in bed. This was when we were really finally getting the picture. And it was about 3 a.m., I went to sleep. My husband's asleep and boom, I just sit up, sit up 90 degrees. And as I sit up, space and time opens up. So sort of the thick night opens up and it's a sort of numinous quality. And there's an opening of time and space. And this very profound presence, a very sacred presence says, if you were pregnant, would you adopt? And in such a sacred, direct moment, it's a profoundly honest moment, I said, no, no, I wouldn't. If I were pregnant right now, I would not adopt. Very gently, space and time closes up. It's quiet. I look over. My husband's missed the whole thing. He's cold asleep, you know, stone cold asleep. And the synchronicities continue, the guidance. And one of them was after this was like the 10th in vitro, I just had this terrible feeling that I, again, couldn't help myself. I couldn't resist wanting to fix the problem. The illusion of achieving awareness, command control. I'll get the right doctor. I'll find the right formula, you know. So I've I've gone to the top, top, top doctor. I come back. I still have this sinking feeling. And right in front of my front step, again, never in the years before, never in the years after, that day on my front step, there was a little tiny smear of something moist. I didn't know what it was. So I got down low and I looked and it was a little tiny dead embryo. It was a dead duck embryo on my front door. I'd come home from an in vitro and there's a dead embryo, a little dead duck embryo on my doorstep. And I knew, well, you know, that's a synchronicity that's so pronounced. Synchronicities don't always say you get what you want. They say that your life is supported, you are guided, you're on your path, and here may be what's next, right? So I I was very depressed when I saw that. I knew there's no way this in vitro worked if there's a little tiny dead duck embryo on my doorstep. It was so depressing. And and I literally just went to bed in the middle of the day, two o'clock in the afternoon. And somewhere about two hours later, I hear this little tap at my window, tap, tap, tap. I go, I get up and it's a mama duck. And I think, mama duck? And I get closer and I pull open the screen door and she's brought me. For a duck is the most beautiful gift in the world, this little plump, juicy worm. It was her dead duck embryo. And she knew I had a little dead embryo. And she was comforting me. She was comforting me. I said, thank you. So we are not alone. We are never alone. We are guided and loved in synchronicity and everyone's an actor, the ducks, the birds, who we are to one another. Well, I was getting closer and closer and it happened again. I could feel there's almost a rhythm. You can feel the rhythm of the universe and then space and time opens. And the presence came back and I could feel the extraordinary power and sacredness of this presence And he said, would you adopt? If you were pregnant now, would you adopt? And I said, you know, I'm getting much closer. But in truth, no, I'm not quite there. I even knew I had a sense where in the supported guided line of synchronicities I was going, but no, not yet. I knew I wasn't quite yet to the type of person as a spiritual being ready for the mantle of parenthood. And so this continues with more sacred experiences. And one of them, my name is Lisa Jane Miller. And there's a big Jane in my life, my older cousin, we're both named for the same matriarch. And she called me and she talks to me like the way a big cousin or a big sister does. She's like, hey, little Jane, I hear you're still trying to get pregnant. Well, you know, you say you're interested in the spiritual path, but you say you're interested in the wisdom of indigenous tradition. Why don't you actually come out here? We're having a healing ceremony with the Lakota. And I figured, you know, that is life knocking at the door. That is a synchronicity. She didn't call. A year ago she hasn't called for that reason since so i said yes yes to the synchronicity yes to what i feel is spirit or god's invitation so i cancel all my meetings at columbia like <laughs> for the whole week and i book a ticket and i go out to sioux falls and i'm out there in the midwest where i actually had grown up and i in some sense was home but i felt like i'd shown up you know having been sort of like an absent or a bad like a bad child of the Midwest that I hadn't cared for the land or I hadn't, you know. So I was back. And attending the healing ceremony of the Lakota, the chief stands up and with tears in his eyes, pounds his heart. He says, my son, my son and his eyes just well with love and tears. My son who I adopted. And I thought, well, that's quite a message, right? This deep overpowering love. My son who I adopted. And we then, after the healing ceremony, went to Anipis, the sweat lodge, men to one, women to the other. And inside the burning hot sweat lodge, they all could tolerate it. And I was sort of crouched, trying to breathe air. It was very hot. The medicine man's wife says, why have you come? And she turns to the first woman. All the other women were members of the Lakota community. And each woman in her turn say why she had come to the healing ceremony and now the sacred sweat lodge and the first woman says my son my son is not coming home i'm worried for his wife i'm worried for his kids i'm worried for the family and the next woman says my son my son is 14 he's starting to use drugs i'm worried about him my son my son and we get to big jane and big jane by my side says this is my cousin little jane she has come looking for her child and i'm wondering if we can help her and for the First time in this journey of five years, I knew I was in the right place. All of those top doctors, all of that research-driven hysteria—I knew I was in the right place. And the women looked at me in the eye and said, "Uh "Uh-huh, yes." They knew too how life really unfolds. And so we then did a prayer. And when we prayed, it was so powerful, Melissa, because we prayed for each other in each other's story, but. There was also this deep felt sense in which we prayed for the we of us, like the superordinate. The that we'd instantiated a oneness, a group, the collective spirit. And we prayed for that to Juan each who's God. And it went up and I could see it again in my mind's eye, the numinous go up through the top of the anipi. So after five years of tears and failed in vitros and deep pain, But a journey of awakening to the loving, guiding presence ushered through synchronicities, we got a call. And to this day, to this day, it moves my heart deeply. The call came that night. I was asleep in my bed near the Lakota community, and it came into our home machine. And the message was, we have found the Miller's child. We know that Mr. Miller wanted a girl, and there's many wonderful girls, but this is the Miller's child. And this is a son, and we're praying for sons. That was way too unprobabilistic to have happened by chance, praying for sons. And that night my son came. They found the mother's child. I got home. I couldn't wait to get home. A video's there. I, I can't wait to play the video. I look at the video and here's this bright, shining spirit. And you know, he's all the way across the world. He's he's north of St. Petersburg, Russia. And he's da, 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 this little boy he has his arm around the nurse and he's full of light and love and joy. And in that moment, Melissa, my heart opens up. There was a soaring love, like a tidal wave of love. And I became a parent. It was this type of love. I mean, it was absolutely, it was beyond unconditional. It was the soul on earth that touched my soul. So that night, having seen the video, we're so grateful. We turn in, we go to bed. And I wake up at 3 a.m. once again, boom, sitting straight up space and time open i can feel the presence coming and i'm excited because i know my answer and the space opens up and the presence asks if you were pregnant would you adopt absolutely yes this is my spiritual son my spiritual son thank you thank you who i call god thank you god for our spiritual son and that night that we brought our spiritual son into our family we conceived naturally his sister, they're spiritual twins, spiritual twins, far too unprobabilistic after five years. No way that happened by chance. That is a loving, guiding who I call God. So this is a story of our spiritual twins, but this is more foundational universally a story of how we become an open system, not a closed system, but an in connection to spirit and in through and among us and who we are to each other, each other's trail angels.
1: That is might even be the most powerful story I've ever heard. <laughs> it's just every detail in it is so engaging. And it's funny that even the word choices you were using, I, I said I was just talking to Dan Siegel this morning and you said the me and the we mm-hmm. and that collective spirit that you had with the women, that's something that he coined was we he kept referring to me and it's like that really getting in touch with that me and the we and as you were speaking I was just having these visualizations of my own family and the ways that we've been striving outside of ourselves and and one of the things that I'm going through right now is we have we moved up to Big Bear and we rent right now because we have been unsure where we wanted to really land but we did want to own and so we own pieces of land around Big Bear yeah. and uh, other places. And it's kind of our sense of security while still allowing us the fluid, being able to move and not really being tied down to one spot. But maybe it's the nesting period I'm going through, but I all of a sudden want to own a home so bad. And I'll admit in the last couple months, I've just been like, I'll go to a friend's house that has a beautiful home. And my higher self knows that in that moment that is something I should feel gratitude for. It's like, you know, I'm grateful that I have access to this. This is just being in contact with these people. We are a we at this time. This is for all of us. And and my lower self though goes into like, I wish I had this, I need to have this, I need to have this now. And, and it's been stressing me out. Like it can immediately put me into this state of feeling like I don't have control or I don't have options, really the mindset of lack or scarcity which doesn't even make sense. I could easily sell this piece of land to buy a home. <laughs> you know what I mean? But but it's just that mindset and that which part of my energy I'm, I'm deciding to focus on. And is it the stressful what I don't have? Or is it the what's next for me? How can I be open to the guidance? Because what I want to will into existence might not be for the highest purpose it might not be what's meant for me and so what if i just let go of what i think i should have in this moment where would that lead me to and given that i'm bringing children into the world at the same time my seeking has been has shifted and so i'm able to do it in one sense where so much of my seeking before i had my baby was about me it's like well how can i better my life how can i uh, feel good in this moment which yes there's there's something to be said for that. But in the last couple of years, I've I've felt these profound shifts in my spirituality and my sense of connectedness, because it's not just about me anymore. I know that the choices that I'm making, I stopped drinking about 500 days ago, I stopped, I, I've been praying more, I've been uh, just diving into books to learn from people like you. And and letting them integrate. Whereas before I used to just go book to book to book and <laughs> like, what else can I pack in? Like I'm trying to level up my character and now it's like, okay, I just experience this knowledge. Who am I now? And can I let myself be so that I feel the changes?
0: Motherhood is spiritual awakening. You know, the male model is that you go to the top of a mountain and you just sit there, right? Like an aesthetic monk. The female model of spiritual awakening is motherhood. And no matter how the child comes, whether it's through our body or through adoption or through marriage, it is in the very best sense an ego death. That we can't control everything and we can't, you know, no longer, you can't control this little person, right? But that the child is like a beacon of spirit. You know, I would find that when my kids, you know, I can't get your socks on and you're not getting in the car. And now we're (laughs) late in terms of what we humans all put our heads together and thought was the time. But actually, the time we showed up due to all of your socks and not getting in the car and your back backbend, not wanting to get in the car chair, we actually got there at the right time. The child is a direct pipeline to God, the direct pipeline to spirit. And so many times, you know, I'll, I'll share with you just a sweet story. We're in the grocery store. At this point, my youngest, Lila, was about, you know, 20 months, maybe two. And she picks up this bizarre dish we've never had. It's mushroom stuffed with crab meat and throws it in my cart. And I thought, ugh. But I thought, well, but maybe the baby knows, right? So we get home and I have the usual milk and you know, macaroni and cheese and tacos and mushrooms stuffed with crab meat. And who (laughs) should call but my mother and said, surprise, I'm in town. Do you mind if I come for dinner? (laughs) So the child's connected to everything. And what they simply do with their actions, they're actually connected to the flow, the deeper flow that we might experience his guidance, they just act it out. They're a complete extension of spirit. They just act it right out. So if they're making you late, they're actually helping us to get there at the right time. It might not be the time we agreed on with other people, but it is the right time. Maybe there's a synchronicity where you run into someone because it's that moment. Maybe there's a way in which you missed something inversive because you were so-called late. But the child is dialed in, and I have never seen the child not be dialed in. Even my, my son, we were at a party once and he did a beeline. He ran. He wouldn't connect. He, he just couldn't stand it there. He wanted to run right out of there. And the only, the only other time he did it was when I took him to visit a school and he didn't like it and he ran right out. Well, in both cases, that was not the school for him and that was not the crowd for him. He, you know, <laughs> they're pure and they just act right out the truth. They are a moving symbol of truth.
1: Just the other day. I had this moment because I've been. I told you how in my twenties I had all sorts of addictions, and so a lot of my growth has been healing one at a time, even from, you know, alcohol, drugs, Adderall, bulimia, even nail biting. I would like. I mean, it's a form of self mutilation, you know, and it was a problem I I dealt with forever, and the last one that I still. Am working towards. I've tried a number of different things. I have really good streaks of time, and then I fall back into it as doom scrolling, as I call it now. But just really, <laughs> what a it, great term! <laughs> <gonna> say <laughs> but yeah, and, and just being on social media and and it's it's difficult. It it's might be even more difficult than food because you know with drugs and alcohol you can just choose not to have it in the house. With food, you still have to eat to survive and with my business, so much of it's online. And so I can easily justify it, but I can also very easily get sucked into it. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like I'm supposed to be spending time with my child. And every time that I pick up my phone and I look distracted, all of a sudden he is not happy about it and he will do something. (laughs) And it might be sounds that he's making. It might be coming and pulling on me just be like all of a sudden throwing a fit or or spilling something like something happens where I cannot be on the phone and so like these situations that could be annoying I oh I remind myself I'm like thank you actually You're thank you beautiful. for that reminder because beautiful. I shouldn't be doing this anyways I guess what I should be is cleaning up this jar of jelly on the ground. <laughs> That's what I should be doing because now I'm down here with you. We're at the same height.
0: Mostly you read the moment with clear, open spiritual eyes. You read the moment. It is a very strong invitation to come down here intimately with me. It's beautiful. You read it clearly. I mean, he's a little ambassador. Children are ambassadors of source, of who I call God. They're of the spirit. They are absolute ambassadors. And they are our guides and teachers in just this beautiful way you so graciously shared. You know, it, it's magnificent when we when we hear them and see them the way you so clearly did.
1: Yeah, and even this morning, I have a flight early tomorrow. I was trying to change my seat. Long story short, mine and my child's seat got split up, and then it wouldn't let me connect it, so I'm actually stressing out because I'm like, I can't sit far away from my one-and-a-half-year-old, <laughs> (laughs) And so I'm like calling Delta Airlines and I can't get a hold of anybody and it keeps misreading me and I'm actually getting angry and I'm like yelling at the automated system. and like, why can't you understand me? And he just comes over and puts his head on my lap and he goes, Uh mama, hug. And I was like, oh, Mm. and immediately Mm. all this stress just disappeared. But
0: the little child, love, guided, held, and never alone. We for the child and the child for us as moms. I mean, this is why the child is an emanation, ambassador of God, and they help us heal beyond, you know, just in the perfect places. That's our next step.
1: And the work that we do to find this connectedness and this spirituality, you've actually found science that it is genetic, that even without physically teaching your child to do these spiritual things too, that it's passed down. And that's the last thing I feel like is really important to share with the audience. It's, Absolutely true, Melissa. Every one of us is born
0: innately a spiritual being. Just we have two eyes, two ears, and a nose. We have an innate capacity for spiritual life. We see that through twin studies. We can see twins raised together, twins raised apart. And we find that about one third of our natural spirituality is inborn, and two thirds is how our parents or grandparents or community raise us. So we are all spiritual beings. And when we listen to the child, we can hear the voice of natural spirituality. And researchers have found this, you know, whether or not we are Hindu, Christian, Jewish, spiritual, but not religious, the child comes a spiritual being with their own voice. I would say it's from their deep spirit. psychologists say implicit spiritual cognition that includes the view, the perception. It's not just a belief that there's continuity of spirit or consciousness after death, unless Socialized out of it. Little kids will say, you know, I saw Grandma Mom, or who is this woman with dark hair? And it, of course, ends up being your great grandma. Or, you know, they. I'll share with you. In my oldest Isaiah, um, we buried Pop Pop, who was his great grandpa, the grandfather. You know, little Isaiah was graveside, and he looked at me, and he looked at Pop Pop's coffin, and he said, "Mommy, the body goes to the good earth, the soul goes to God." I, I hadn't taught him that. He knew they come knowers. Our children are knowers. The other thing is just as they perceive, not just told or believed, they perceive continuity of spirit after death. They perceive that we can know things directly without having been told through our five senses. You know, we don't need to read it or have been told it verbally. We can tap into, you know, what I would call the consciousness field, all information's available in the consciousness field. Well, the child is born awakened the child is born using their awakened brain and they naturally can spontaneously know and think that's natural because it is so unless we socialize our kids out of their birthright we can simply as parents enjoy and say wow and connect with what they know as natural spiritual beings because they are awakened and let's let them stay awakened
1: I feel like I just want to have coffee with you every morning. (laughs) I would love it. I would love it. (laughs) Just this conversation is so enlightening. Well, maybe
0: we'll do one all on parenting someday. We can talk about spiritual parenting.
1: Because you are a
0: spiritual parent. You are, Melissa, a beautiful spiritual parent. And you're an awakened parent with an awakened child. And it's a blessing.
1: Well, for listeners who are just vibing with you as much as I am, there's so much in your book that we didn't even get to touch on. And yes, I would love to do another episode in the future but for listeners that want to get this information now, where's the best place that they can connect and find your book, The Awakened Brain?
0: Oh, thank you. So The Awakened Brain is, you know, every place books are sold, but The Awakened Brain, I hope, will be something like a roadmap for moms and dads and all of us, you know, to to use in our own spiritual path. I wrote The Awakened Brain to say, this: this is you, this is us. We are all endowed with this natural capacity. And when we awaken our natural spiritual awareness, life is better than we ever thought, better than we could have imagined. It's not what we want.
1: It's much better than we want. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 288. Your challenge for this week is to start a spiritual practice or deepen an existing one. This doesn't mean you need to go join a religion it could involve daily meditation journaling connecting with nature engaging in rituals anything that brings you a sense of purpose or meaning to your lives because the goal of this challenge is to encourage you to experience those tangible benefits of spirituality another way to embody this lesson would be to focus on developing empathy and self-awareness it's that unity that actually really creates that sense of connection, that feeling of collectiveness, the feeling that there's something greater than ourselves, that there's some meaning beyond just this body. So this could involve practicing mindfulness, volunteering in a community, engaging in meaningful conversations with friends or family, anything that helps you be more in tune with your emotions and your thoughts, or more connected to the people around you. And remember, this challenge is about more than feeling good. And even though that can be motivating on its own, know that you're actually creating structural changes in your brain. And as those changes occur in your brain, you're even more likely to feel that sense of oneness, to feel that sense of purpose. And it'll be easier and easier to continue to practice these things. That's why oftentimes it's so difficult to get started. But once you actually have that deep-rooted practice or ritual, it's almost impossible to stop. I am on a streak of over six months of daily meditation for a minimum of 20 minutes. Oftentimes I'll do it twice. And I will tell you, I have been creating a consistent meditation practice for the better part of a decade. And I have had one for the most part. I have gone months at a time on a streak, but then I've also had periods of time where I haven't meditated at all for a month. I don't really see that happening anymore because now I'm at this point where I'm over the hump and it's actually difficult to imagine not meditating. It is one of my favorite things to do. Now, when I have this urge to turn on the TV in the middle of the day or to do something randomly distracting, like scroll through social media... It's funny because I used to feel those pulls quite often and I'd have to snap myself out of it. Well, now that pull is more toward the meditation. I have this thought, maybe I'll turn this on at 3 p.m. And instead I'm like, it's because you're feeling exhausted and you don't want to engage in work. Why don't you give your brain a little rest? And it's my trigger to meditate. And that's just around the practice. There have been so many other changes in my life because of this, my ability to pause before reacting more often, my ability to observe my thoughts before attaching to them. Everything's connected. So I want to know how this goes for you. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa and let me know how you are deepening your spirituality. If you found this episode helpful or you just want to share this fascinating information with somebody tap the share button take a screenshot tag mind love melissa and mind love podcast on instagram i absolutely love seeing how these episodes are impacting you guys so feel free to share away also if you haven't checked out the mind love membership It is my favorite part of my work right now. There are tons of masterclasses, both audio and video, to help you actually take what you're learning in these episodes and embody them. So if you don't have that spiritual practice, it could just be joining the membership and engaging in some of those masterclasses. And I've created them so that you can create a daily practice, spend five to ten minutes a day doing one module or one practice at a time, or you can do it all at once at the beginning of the month or whenever works with your schedule. So find out more information at mindlove.com membership. I'd love to see you in there. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for tuning into Your Higher Frequency with mindlove.
1: Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.